<clears throat> uh, leadership can be a difficult thing. Uh, it can be wonderful in a lot of ways as well, particularly uh, if you believe in what you're doing and you're seeing positive things happen in people's lives. But good leadership is always a challenge. I just did a quick web search this week in Indeed, which is sort of a job listing uh, website. They listed 10 different models of leadership. They are coach, visionary, servant, autocratic, hands-off, democratic, pace-setter, transformational, transactional, and bureaucratic. That's a lot of ick words in there. And we're not going to go over what these different, uh, the different characteristics of these things are, but it's worth noting that, according to them at least, you could be any one of these ten types of leaders. And any one of those ten types of leadership might, styles might work best within any number of different settings. And that's not even to say how good of a leader you are within that particular style. So, leadership is a challenge. To find the right way to lead people and then to excel at being that kind of leader. Why is it challenging? Well, it's challenging because we all have problems and life is messy. And as a leader here at this church, it's my job to help you navigate some of those problems and messy parts. But there's an added stress for me in doing that because I am not only speaking for myself, as I try to help you through whatever it is, I am also, in a way, speaking for God, which is terrifying. Frankly, it's just, it's a terrifying prospect. And therefore, if I am going to speak in your life, and I'm smart about it, which sometimes I am, I need to pray and spend time preparing to do that. I need to go before God and, and bring you before God and pray for God's guidance and how I can help you with whatever it is. Then, after that, I have to know what to say and how to say it. I have to have the right balance of comfort, wisdom, love. And if I mess up how I handle whatever situation it is, like maybe I, I, I use a term that you don't like. Or maybe I make an application that you're not comfortable with. If I mess up on that, I may not only damage my relationship with you, I may damage your relationship with God. And that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Now, this is not, like, I'm not going to ask for a raise at the end of my introduction here. Just want to be clear. Because there's another problem. I have my own messes and struggles that I am trying to get through. And there are many times where I don't feel like I am qualified to lead or to some, help someone else uh, through their own things with wisdom when I am struggling with my own stuff. I also need to have vision and energy to help the church move ahead in whatever way we need to move ahead. 
And I am prayerfully deciphering what God wants us to be and how we get there. And all of this put together, I mean, you don't, I didn't even mention like the writing and studying and all that sort of stuff. All of this put together makes me really tired. Like I could nap multiple times every day. But it's not just that kind of physical tired. It's a mental and emotional tired. And, and the truth is that this is the pressure that I put on myself and the pressure that I feel being a leader of a church. I remember when I was younger in ministry, I felt guilty all the time. All the time, when, particularly when I was a youth minister. Because it felt like if I ever stepped away and did something for myself where I wasn't helping those kids, that I was somehow cheating them. And as a youth minister, there were some people who, if a kid didn't want to be involved, it was my fault. And I needed to try harder. And that was a lot to kind of carry around. Uh, now that I minister to adults, I don't really care about how you feel. So, <laughs> you get what you get. Now, imagine, if you would, for a second, that you are in the position that I'm in, or that the elders are in, and there's an added complication, which is God is speaking directly to you and not to everyone else in the same way. So not only do you have to lead and decipher how to go and where to go, not only do you have to help people through their problems, but you are the one who hears from God. Therefore, in any instance or circumstance, you have a responsibility to speak the truth of God because you are the one who hears it. What am I complaining about? Right? This was the position that Moses was in. And he wasn't leading a church of 60, 65 people. He was leading a nation of at least 600,000. And he was the voice of God. The stakes were pretty high, right? So let's set the situation here. Moses, as we uh, looked at a couple of weeks ago, he grew up in the Egyptian palace with Pharaoh's daughter as his adopted mother. But he still knew that he was a Hebrew. He, he knew that the Hebrew people were his people. And so one day, he went out to where the Hebrew people were doing hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew workers. So Moses, the Bible says, looked around and made sure no one was watching. And then he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Word got around that Moses had killed this guy, and he knew it was not safe for him to stay where he was there in Egypt. It might have been the fact that Pharaoh was trying to kill him, but I can't be totally sure about that. Anyway, his spidey senses were tingling. He got out of Egypt. 
He fled to a place called Midian, and when he got to Midian, he sat down by a well. I don't know if he was just tired, if he was sort of given up, if he was waiting for someone to come to help him draw water. It's not really clear, but he sits by this well. And there was a Midian priest in the area whose name was Ruel, also known as Jethro, one of my favorite Bible names. And Jethro had sent his seven daughters to the well to draw water for their animals. But while the seven daughters were there, a bunch of shepherds came in and basically pushed the daughters out of the way so that they couldn't use the well. The shepherds wanted to water their own animals, and they weren't going to wait for these daughters of Jethro to get out of the way. But Moses stood up to these shepherds, and I would imagine he was still maybe even dressed in the clothing of Egypt. He stood up to them, and the shepherds backed off, and then Moses helped uh, these daughters of Jethro draw water and help them water all of their animals. So the girls go home, and they tell Jethro about what happened. And Jethro says, well, where is he? All right, we don't know. Well, why didn't you invite him home for dinner? I don't know. Should we? So they go back, and they find Moses, and they invite Moses over for dinner. And this dinner turns into a lifelong relationship. And he, uh, Moses agreed to stay and to work for Jethro with all the animals. Uh, Jethro gave him his daughter Zipporah, and soon they had a son together. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I found myself not thinking about this until I thought about it. Uh, I never considered Moses being a father, like that Moses had kids and that he had his family along with him and all of these shenanigans. Uh, I don't know why I never thought of him about having a home life besides everything else he was doing, but, but he did. So then Pharaoh died, and Moses settled into Midian until, of course, he ran into a flaming talking bush. Moses returned to Egypt, demanding the new Pharaoh let his people go. There were plagues, lots of suffering, followed by Moses leading his people out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, quail and manna, water from a rock. All that went down during this period of time. And through all of those events, Moses was the voice for God. God spoke to him directly, and then Moses would communicate this to the people. And this was a really big job with a lot of responsibility. Sometimes he had to say things on behalf of God that he knew the people would not like. And when the people were frustrated, they would go to Moses and complain to Moses, and then he would have to go to God and say, God, everyone's upset about this. And God would say, go ask him what their problem is. And then he would walk back to the people and what your problem is. And then it would go back and forth and back and forth. He was the leader and guide through all of this, even literally telling them, okay, now we should go this direction and leading them to the next place. Okay, now we need to go over here and leading them to that next place. This is a lot for any one person to handle. Moses was just one man. 
And if you remember, those of you that know the story of Moses well, when God asked Moses to go and do this job, what did Moses say? He said no. Why did he say no? Because he didn't think he could do it. And even though he knew he was going to have God on his side, he felt like this mantle of leadership just was not in him. And if you remember, God gives him signs and all these things, and finally he's, Moses is like, I don't want to talk in front of people. Like, that's not my gift. And he says, well, you can have Aaron, and Aaron will talk for you, and, and all of these things. God basically closes every exit strategy that Moses had during this time. But we need to understand that leadership was not a natural quality of his. And I don't know if it's something he ever felt comfortable with during his lifetime. So Moses, by the time we get to where we're picking it up today, was very much in over his head. And this is a hard thing for us to understand. I mean, after all, by this point, look at all that God has done. He sent the plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He made food fall from the sky. Like God, we think, has made it so easy for them. But it wasn't easy. And this takes us to Exodus chapter 18, where my man Jethro re-enters the picture. Now look, I know uh, that not everyone gets along with their father-in-law. But it turns out that Jethro was an important person in Moses' life. Because Jethro was someone that Moses respected and listened to. So Jethro coming back into the story in Exodus chapter 18 turns out to be a really good thing for Moses. And he plays two essential roles in Exodus chapter 18 that other people weren't able to play as well as he did. And the first thing that Jethro, the first role that he played was the role of witness. His witness was crucial to Moses and something that I think made him feel better about the entire situation. So let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer. I don't think I said that right, but that's okay. For he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me through the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done 
for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the leaders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Okay, so we might want to kind of skip over this story. I mean, there's nothing particularly riveting about what happens. But if we read between the lines a little bit, we see why this moment was so necessary. First of all, it starts out with what happening. Moses sent his family away. Now, why do you think Moses sent his family away? I think we're going to find out in the next section. But I just want to lay this out for you. Moses didn't have time to be a husband and father. He didn't. And he recognized that he was neglecting his wife and children. So what did he do? He sent them home. Go home. Be with your family. I, I, I don't have the capacity to be who I need to be in this moment. And so they went home. And they go home to Jethro, and they stay there for a while. And then what does Jethro decide to do? Moses, I'm going to come see you with your wife and children. Because he's a father-in-law, remember. Moses, I'm going to come see you and your wife, with your wife and your children. So they all show up, and, and Moses goes out to receive Jethro. And he wants to tell Jethro about everything that had happened. Jethro had heard about the things that God has done, and probably Zipporah told him all about it, but Moses wanted to tell him himself. Now, here's the interesting thing. Remember that Jethro was a priest of Midian. Now, we're not totally sure what that means. Um, it's not known which God he represented. It's possible, and some scholars believe, that um, Jethro represented God, Yahweh, and that that's where Moses learned about who God was. Uh, mo most scholars contend that Jethro was likely a priest of El, the god of the patriarchs. So there's something uh, about him and his religion which seems to be sort of akin to what Moses and the Hebrew people believe, but it's not, it's not quite the same thing. And um, we also can learn from the comments that he makes that he wasn't so sure about this God until this moment. So it makes us think that Jethro probably worshipped some other god or gods besides the one God. His response to all that God had done for the Israelites, and can you imagine being Moses sitting in the tent with your father-in-law, who by all accounts he seems to have a good relationship with, and telling him the story of going to Egypt and bringing the people out. You're not going to believe what happened next. Gnats. Gnats were everywhere. People were breathing gnats in and out. It was disgusting. 
but not as disgusting as boils on everybody. There were boils everywhere. So he tells him this whole story. And Jethro's response to all that God had done for the Israelites was crucial, I think, because he affirmed to Moses the power of God. And he worships that God, making sacrifices to him. Now, why would this be an important moment for Moses? Well, Moses' life had been up and down and up and down and like the highest highs and the worst lows. And so many incredible things had happened that he had to have had a difficult time understanding how far all of this progressed during that time. Like, how do you begin as the one that God called out to lead 600,000 people out of Egypt? How do you begin to wrap your mind around that? How do you begin to understand how God has changed anything? How do you even begin to know the power of God when God is bringing so many things out of his bag of tricks? This God that, that Moses and, and even the Hebrew people didn't really know very well. It had been generations since God had an intimate relationship with his people, and now here he is leading them out. And Moses is at the center of this whole thing. The story is crazy, but Jethro speaks something true to him. Only the God who is above all gods could do this. And he affirms to Moses that God is, in fact, running this show. Which takes us to something really important, okay? Sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is to simply confirm how you see God working in their life. You would be surprised how much of a difference that can make in someone and how they understand themselves and how they understand God Maybe they're at a place where they feel completely overwhelmed and they can't handle what it is that God seems to be doing in their life. Maybe they're wondering if everything makes sense. If maybe it's a new path that they never wanted to go on in the first place. You can make a huge difference in someone's life by confirming that you see God in them. And, you know, sometimes it feels like maybe we are a little bit hesitant to do that. After all, sometimes we get drawn into this sort of like God-off. That you want to prove also that God is doing something in you. Or that, you know, we have to compare what God is doing in you to what God is doing in me and see if it matches. And if it doesn't match, then there's a problem, right? But when you see God working in someone's life, you can bless them by telling them that you see it. And that could be exactly what God wants you to do. Fair? We become witnesses for one another, pointing to God where we see him, encouraging each other to continue to trust and follow him. And Jethro, as he recognizes God, he builds up Moses, a man we know 
didn't have a lot of confidence in himself and says, God is doing this through you. God is doing this for your people. I know it feels like you're hanging on by your fingernails, but just let those fingernails grow and dig in there. Hold on, because you are a part of what God is doing. Next, we see Jethro play the role of advisor, because remember two things. Moses is not a natural leader, and the Hebrew people don't know how to be a nation, and certainly not a nation of God's people. So keep that in mind. There is no Old Testament. The law hasn't even come to them yet. There are no guidelines to how they should be. So let's look at uh, Exodus 18, verses 13 through 27. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Again, father-in-law. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So again, let's just paint this a little clearly, right? Moses sits in one spot, and people come to him all day long, wanting him to resolve issues. And Moses, at some point, we don't know how many times during the day, has to go to God to ask God what should happen, and God tells him, then he comes back and tells, this is what it happened. This is how it goes. Uh, We don't even know if he has a bathroom break in there. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses and his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So as important as the affirmation that God was working through him was, I think what Jethro speaks to him here is even more important. Because again, we can hardly imagine what it must have felt like to be Moses. 
And Moses had fallen into a trap that we often fall into, which is, I have to do it all myself. That way of thinking is dangerous, even if God is speaking to you directly. Right? Just because, and I know this sounds sort of counterintuitive to us, but just because you have God on your side, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it all yourself. Even if you are God's mouthpiece to the people. And Moses had fallen into this trap. I don't think it was out of pride per se, but out of not knowing how to do this. Because Jethro, who has been a leader of people for a long time, he looks at the situation and immediately assesses what the problem is. And, and he said to him, look, this isn't good. You're wearing yourself out, and you're wearing everyone else out too. Because every day they have to wait to talk to one person to resolve arguments and issues that are happening within the people. So here's what you need to do. Again, these things are not natural to Moses, but here's what you need to do. You know God, right? Yes? Okay. Then teach the other people how God wants them to live. Explain it to them. Explain how, uh, you know, you should handle different situations or what God expects of you. What do they do and not do? How does this look being a people of God? And then look for those who get the point, who, who understand what it is to follow God. And, and then place those people in charge of other people. But don't, you know, do it down to the tenth. Do it down to ten, hundred, thousands. Build a leadership structure that is going to take the pressure off of you. And look, you can still speak for God because that's part of your role. But if other people learn what it is to follow God, then you don't have to handle every little thing. Let them do it. And I imagine in my own head that after Jethro explains all of this, Moses does this. <sighs> right? What a burden that had to be off of his shoulders. So Jethro's advice is wise. Teach them how to be the people of God. Select those who get it to help inform everyone else about who God is and how you are to live. And remarkably, Moses hears this good advice and does all of it. He does all of it. He did everything that Jethro suggested. He didn't say, don't you know I am the mouthpiece of God? He didn't say, you're not even a follower of God. I mean, yeah, as of 10 minutes ago. Who are you to tell me? He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he recognized the value of what Jethro was saying, and he followed it all. No matter how important you may be, even if you are the mouthpiece for God, 
You need people to speak the truth to you. This is not going to work. And it's not going to work for this reason. And I want you to notice something else that Jethro does as he's speaking to this. He does not say, you should listen to me because I'm your father-in-law. He does not say, you should listen to me because I know how to do this better than you. He simply lays it out, and then he says something important. May God bless you, and if God thinks this is right, then do it. So Jethro, in no way, is trying to supplant God because God didn't give Moses these leadership tips. He shouldn't use them. No, he, he takes that, and we have to believe that he takes it before God and that God blessed this decision. If you are going to be a leader of God's people, then you have to have humility. And what was the downfall of Moses? Pride. The moment he forgot and believed he was more important than he actually was and took credit for something that God did. You have to have humility because you're serving a God who is much bigger than you. And as someone who follows such a big God, you're not always going to have all the answers, friends. I mean, it may go from one plague to the next. It may go from one awesome act to the next awesome act. So you have to have humility in order to follow God through this and not to put what you think should happen above what he thinks. But secondly, just because God speaks through one person powerfully, that does not mean he's not speaking through anyone else. This is not a mutually exclusive thing. So we need to recognize, no matter how long we have been a follower or a disciple of Jesus, we need to recognize when God has something to say to us, even if it doesn't come directly from him. Because maybe God is speaking to you through someone else who is able to see the situation with eyes you don't have and can bless you because of how they see God moving and how things could be better. So what do we learn from this story? Uh, one, I have it easier than Moses. <laughs> Two, you should always listen to your father-in-law. But here's something else. Here's something else we can take from this. Number one, encouragement is a gift. Encouragement is a gift. And when someone loves you and respects you, when you can encourage and affirm God in their life, you are giving them something special. And we need to look for that in others. We need to affirm in them what their gifts are and how we see God moving in their lives. Because your words of encouragement may take someone from the brink to know that they can make it another day or two or three. Secondly, God does not mean for us to go it alone. You know, we're not, you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, okay? So he was not all that lone. We are not meant to go it alone. 
And God has given us different gifts and different eyes and different abilities. And we are better when we bring those things together than we are trying to do something for God on our own. We just are. And I personally am thankful for all of the people that have walked beside me and have told me things I needed to hear or things I didn't really want to hear but still needed to hear or who have just spoken a blessing to me in times where I needed it or people who have prayed for me when they knew that I was struggling or hurting with something or some way. And I very firmly believe that I would not be standing here in front of you today without those people and without their wisdom, without their love and their care for me. And even though I'm the teacher, they all taught me and helped me learn something about God and myself. We have such a wonderful community here. We do. We genuinely love and care for one another. And that is a blessing. Because we have people with us that will walk beside us through anything. We have people with us that will encourage us. We have people with us that will pray for us. And so this community is a gift. It's a gift to me. And I'm sure it's a gift to you as well. And it speaks to how God is able to do something special collectively as we journey through this life of following him. We don't need to be Moses, right? It's just as good to be Jethro. Yeah. 